0: In terms of like sermons and that kind of stuff, we've been moving toward Easter slowly and Looking at the cross, the the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus from a couple of different angles, and just giving us some more things to think about and and to learn from and respond to. And um, in Philippians chapter two, which you, you turn to Ephesians two, you stay there, okay? Um, if he, in Philippians two, verse eight, uh, in the middle of this very uh, very famous. Um, passage of Scripture that was really a hymn that was sung as an attempt, kind of like we do here when we sing songs, we're trying to sum up some things. It's this summary of uh, Jesus and what He has done. And there's this verse, uh, this particular verse says this, verse 8 says, And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now that little, the end of that sentence is very significant. To be obedient to the point of death is like that's a pretty like serious level of obedience, right? Like if you were if God called you to to do something that was going to like cost you your life and you were to say yes to him, then that would be like just a massive massive thing, right? But the hymn writer doesn't say he was obedient to the point of death and and then put a period on the end of the sentence. He says To the point of death, even death on a cross. And that doesn't maybe make a lot of sense to us in our day and age. But that is a significant statement. Because Roman crucifixion was designed to send a message. It was perfected. It was like dreamed up as what is the most terrible thing that we can do to another human. And it was known throughout the region and very well documented, and they were good at it. That death on a cross was different than any other kind of death that you could experience. In some senses, you know, death is, that, that's, an, that's a big enough thing. But I think a lot of us are worried about how we will die. Death on a cross was designed to send chills down your spine. It was public, it was brutal, it was humiliation, and it was designed to holistically destroy a person. To destroy their body, to destroy their mind, to destroy their emotions and their relationships and their spirit. And it was just designed to just shred them in full view of the public. It would take days... And they had perfected it to the point where they knew exactly how long it would take for a person to suffocate or just die of shock and blood loss, but it was bad. And it was designed to send a message to the whole community that, hey, this is what happens when you break the law. This, this is what happens to you. That's why it didn't happen off in like a part of the city where no one really saw. It's not like today where um, in states where the death penalty is a thing, uh, it's done you know, in a room, and sometimes you know they will let people, there's certain observers of that kind of stuff, but you would never see that in a public thing. Rome said, no, we want to do it where everyone can see, and we're going to hang them up where everybody sees, and we're going to put their crime up on top. It's like, this is what happens. This is what we will do to you. We will destroy everything about you, and it will be the worst possible death that you could dream up. So when he says that, uh, when, the, when the writer of the hymn says that Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that would have said something in the first century that maybe it doesn't say now. And we need to hear it. You know, we need to hear what Jesus wants to say because Jesus' crucifixion was designed to communicate some deep and important things to us. Rome designed crucifixion to, to send a message. Jesus' crucifixion sends a message also. And that's part of what we're listening for, even though we always don't want to hear it. We have to be wanting to receive and say, God, what do you want to speak to me? What is that supposed to tell me? What is it designed to communicate to me? Rome had an agenda. God has an agenda also. What is that? There's a lot of things we could cover. let me just I want to highlight two in our time together tonight. The first one is the seriousness of sin. The second one is the greatness of love. the seriousness of sin the greatness of love. You may be familiar with john three sixteen um, It's a lot of times one of the first verses that kids in churches will memorize. And it's something that has just become a very prominent uh, summary of the gospel in Christian culture. Um, It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That word perish is a great summary word for what sin has done to our souls. Like if you want to, I mean, we could sit here for a while and unpack it and talk about it. And, and hopefully you feel like it is something that we talk about, um, that that while there is a tendency in the American church to shy away from talking about sin, I hope that you don't feel that that's something that we do here in our community groups and just as a ministry that uh, to one another. It does not serve one another well for us to talk lightly of sin. Um, and so perish, like that's a that's a summary word that John uh, chose to use. Um, that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And from that we understand that perishing is exactly what was going to happen. Like that's what... Uh, That's where we were born into. That was what was going to happen if God hadn't stepped in. Um, In the New Testament, that word uh, is used to mean uh, perish, obviously. Uh, Destroy, ruin, lose, or put to death. That there is this destruction that's inside of us when we are born into this whole mess. And it leads us to perish. Uh, in this life, but also uh, for eternity. So you're in Ephesians 2. Look at uh, look at verses 1, 2, and 3. I've preached on this passage several times in the last ten years, and I probably won't ever stop, so I hope you don't get tired of it. Um, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I mean, like Paul could write, (laughs) he was good at it. And I just kind of want him to quit. He gets on a roll like that, and you're like, "Dude, ease up, man." Like, let me read it again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Like you were, you were dead. You were perishing um, in your own sin, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. You are a part of this world system that is like leaning towards self all the time and you're stuck you're stuck in it like that's that's the reality of what sin has done it has broken the entire world and there's this system where everyone's growing up thinking that one thing is true when really God's made this whole other system but this sinful world that's all around us and just driven by uh, all these weirdo things. Uh, that that's what you're born into, what I'm born into. And the, you're, I was a son of disobedience. Son of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That You're just doing whatever you want. Whatever makes you happy, whatever. Like, it's, just, it's, just, it's your world. Like, you run the world in your own mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. will talk about wrath in a second. Um, and so this, like, this seriousness of sin, we're supposed to look at the cross. Like We're supposed to experience that. And it's supposed to, to have this weight just kind of coming down onto us. That Jesus' crucif- crucifixion is supposed to send a message. And a part of that message is, look how broken you are. Look how broken we are. Look how broken the world is. And so I was thinking this week, and maybe you've thought similar things. Like, why such a harsh outcome? Like, why Why is it so bad, you know? Last week, we talked about Adam and Eve and um, just how this, like, uh, from their own rebellion... It created this hostility between them and God, and between them and each other, and then internally with their own identity and stuff, and how there's just always this war going on um, where God's character is distorted, your view of yourself is distorted, and your view of one another is distorted, and and you're just caught up in this mechanism where everything is just confusing, and there's this tension and hostility, and the passage after this in Ephesians talks about how through the, through the body and blood of Jesus, he has, he has killed and put to death the, the dividing wall of hostility between us. But make no mistake about it, that's the reality that we like live in apart from Christ. That's what it has done to us. And so if you take them uh, as an example, the seriousness of sin can be, I think, best understood when we realize that at the base of all of our sin there is this self idolatry that that is what the the reality of what's going on that it's really that you are looking at this the holy creator of the universe and you're telling him a couple of things and we see it here's a couple of things that just come from, just from like Adam and Eve this this story that God has given us to help us understand the brokenness of the world we see these things with them Um, they're basically telling him by eating of the tree he said not to eat of they're saying God you are not who you say you are God you are holding out on me God I am more capable of being God than you are God I know better than you God I no longer trust you God I choose me over you and when we defy refuse, mock, reject and rebel against the holy God of the universe we essentially become disqualified to live that's why sin is, that's why it's so, such a harsh reality that we are in. That's why when Paul is trying to describe the state of following mankind, he just has these run-on sentences because you just can't quite describe it enough. That you're looking at the holy creator of the universe and you're shaking your fist at him and you're saying, I know better than you. I'm choosing me over you and I don't care what you say about it. And in that action, we're disqualified from living because we become the very thing that His holy nature naturally eliminates. So God is perfect. We are not perfect. And His perfection is so dominant that uh, in, like, for you to be in His presence, you would be destroyed by His holiness. So we tend to think that sin is just kind of this little thing that God kind of overreacted to. And maybe that's not how you articulate it. But I think sometimes when we look at our lives and how casual we are, of just kind of just fumbling our way through this like, life in Christ, and, and thinking that sin's really not that big a deal, and you know forgiveness is there, and those kind of things. We're so casual about it, it reflects a deep belief that we really don't think that it's a big deal at all. We don't really think that we were perishing. So how great is the offense of sin? Well, death and sin are linked from the very beginning. Adam and Eve were hiding in the tree line, and they were ashamed, and they were afraid, and they were really, they were mocking God, they are rejecting Him. Uh, he's calling to them, and they're saying, well, we're hiding from you because we're naked, and we don't know what to do and stuff, and uh, when you read the account, he, he calls them out and he, he covers their nakedness, he covers their shame with the skins of animals. So right from the beginning, we see death and sin being tied together. And so God, well, think about it like this, nothing, nothing gets our attention like death. Death. Nothing stops you in your tracks like death. And by God's own design, death by bloodshed was required in order for there to be forgiveness. And I think it's because he—it's because we needed to put them in the same category. We need to put the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of, seriousness of death in the same, like same pot. And not split them apart. And so for Adam and Eve, in order for their sin and their shame to be covered, an animal had to die. All throughout the Old Testament, the sacrifices that were made, animals were killed. Now think, think for a second. Let's say that you were growing up in the ancient Near East in a Jewish family. And every time that you went for the Day of Atonement... And you had to pick out the perfect animal from, from the farm that your family had. I guess it's a farm. I don't know. Uh, and you take the animal and you had to go and you had to go watch that animal be murdered because of your own sin. Is God being sadistic and weird? No. He's, he's trying to help us connect those two things together. If you grew up where, where sin and death were constantly brought together... Through the, the, through the rituals and through the ways of worship of your congregation, do you think that you would take it very lightly? Probably not. He wanted them to be together because we can't really understand sin, maybe, and its weight, but we can understand death. And so we have to put them together. And so our sin... It's so the seriousness, like what, what's the right way to think about it? Well, because the death of God was the only remedy. That's how serious it, it was. He alone is qualified to be the sacrifice, and it's that huge. And so Jesus hanging on that cross shows us just how serious our sin is. It's not petty, it's not little, it's not shallow. It's, it's not the kind of thing you just shrug off and say, well, I'll try to do better next time. On humanity's best day, collectively, we could not act our way into a different situation. It was so offensive that it took Jesus dying on a cross. And when we see a cross like it is up there, when we sing about the cross and the blood, and we sing about these things that probably sound kind of weird if you step back from it a little bit, uh, but we're singing about something that's supposed to say to us, look how serious sin really is. It's the death of God's Son. That's what, it, that's what it took. Does that sound slight to us? Does it sound petty? Does it sound like the kind of thing we just shrug off and say, oh, I'll, I'll try to do better next time? No. <laughs> no, that's the answer. No, it doesn't. That Roman crucifixion was designed to send a message. Jesus' crucifixion was designed by God to send a message to us. And a part of that message is... Look at what sin has done, that this is what it took. It took something so extreme to fix it. Taylor read from Isaiah 53. Let me read it to you from the message, which is a paraphrase, translation kind of deal of the Bible. Let me just read it to you. It's not going to be on the screens. Just listen to um, a rewording of that text. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant, in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him, and people turned away. We looked down on him and thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains that he carried. Our disfigurements saw the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself. That God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him. That ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment, and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on Him. He was beaten, He was tortured, but He didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, and like a sheep being sheared, He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, and He was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul, or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he gave himself as an offering for sin, so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones. As he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly. The best of everything, the highest honors... Because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch. Because he embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his own shoulders the sin of many. And he took up the cause of all the black sheep. Isn't that good? Isn't that just tremendous to us that God wanted us to not perish? That's a part of what he's saying in John 3.16. That whoever believes in him would not perish. That God's plan for you, for me, for every person in our city, for every person in our state, in our country, and the whole world. His plan for them is not perishing. And so what did he do? He gave his son. And the son said, yes. Yes, I'll do it. And that terrible, awful, like the worst thing that's ever happened on the face of the earth... That could happen, the death of God's own Son, the only innocent person that's ever lived. For all that to be put on Him and for Him to die, from that would come, like like Peterson says here, life, life, more life. That we would be accounted righteous, that by His wounds we would be healed. Ephesians 2, look look at what it says, starting in verse 4. It says, but God, so he's already laid out how terrible everything is. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life the seriousness of sin we should look at that cross we should sing about that cross and it should bring that heaviness but you know what it shines brighter 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 and what is greater and what outlives the sin is the love of god for us that he loves you more than he hates sin And that sorrow lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And that all these things throughout the Bible, he's just telling us all the time, hey, there's, there's going to come an end to it, but there will never come an end to the love that God has for us. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Don't miss that. Because of the great love with which he loved us. That he's communicating his love to us. He's saying, look. Look how much. Look how much. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. That when Jesus was raised from the dead, as a Christian, you also were raised from the dead. That when Jesus died, you died. When, when God raised him from the dead, he raised you from the dead. That you are not the one you used to be. That I'm not the one I used to be. And Jesus invites us into to his life. He's saying, hey, come be alive with me. And so if you're a Christian, you've said yes to that. you said, yes, my sin is serious. Yes, your love is greater. You're the one that has come to rescue me. And you've put your faith in in Him, and you're following Him as your, uh, your Savior and your Lord, he's, you're like a part of that life with Him. You're alive because He's alive. And every time we come together and we sing about it or talk about it or think about it, it's sort of this reminder that like, oh, this, is not, this world around us is not it. This is not it. This is a big lie, and this lie is going to come to an end, that there's a greater truth, and that truth will never come to an end. He has invited us into that resurrected life by grace that we have been saved. Verse 6, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That God is constantly communicating through the the cross, through the seriousness of sin and the greatness of his love. And he's putting on display all of these redeemed people and saying, look, look at what I have done. Look at what Jesus has won and bought for everyone and provided. And you can be a part of this. So, yeah, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt. We want people to be a part of that. So come be a part of this life. You're welcome here. You're always welcome here. Jesus wants you to be raised up with him, to be seated with him in the in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That throughout all generations, he's just going to constantly keep showing the immeasurable riches of his grace over and over and over and over forever. For by grace, verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that you can't boast about how awesome you are. And it's hard to boast about how awesome you are when you're thinking about the cross and you're thinking about those kinds of things. It gets a little easier when the blinders come off and you start to kind of like drift out there. and We're kind of out wandering in the world around us. And so staying focused is such an important thing for us that we, we had to always remember, hey, you didn't do a single thing to get here. It's just by grace. And now we go into a world and we bring that hopeful message to them. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He loves us enough to form a rescue plan <laughs> involving the death of His one and only Son, even death on a cross. It's supposed to scream something to us. And yet, sometimes I think that the gospel is reduced To this little courtroom drama, you know. And I don't mean to make light of this. I think that God has used this illustration to draw people to him a lot. So please don't hear me making fun of it. I just want us to know that it's more than that. It's more than the fact that you were on trial for your life and you got the death penalty and Jesus dove in the way and said, I'll take the death penalty and you get to go free. It's, it's more than that. It's, I mean, that's in there for sure, but like, let's just expand it and realize how much greater it is than that. That Jesus invites you into his life, that his desire is for you to not perish, but to have everlasting life. So God gave his son. His son said yes. His son died a death, even a death on a cross, so that we could be invited into this life Forever. It's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It should speak deeply to us. Sometimes it's easy to gauge or try and gauge God's love for you based on your circumstances or how you're feeling right now. We've all done it. Some of you are doing it right now where you are in your life. You're looking around your life and you're saying, I'm not really sure if God loves me very much because of this or because of this or because I just don't feel it like I used to or this or this or this and you have all these reasons and you're bringing this stuff into question. Listen, in Hebrews 12, 24, um, it says that the blood speaks a better word. It speaks a better word. That the cross is supposed to speak something beyond our circumstances and our feelings. That if, you're, if you aren't convinced that God loves you, Then listen to a couple of songs about the blood that he shed. Read some some verses about the agony of the cross. Read Isaiah 53 uh, in whatever translation you want. Get into that and then try and figure out if you really think God loves you. We're still living in the aftershocks of all the just brokenness of the world. So, yeah, we still have death. We still have disease and, and dying. We still have violence. We have injustice. We have all these things. That he has freed us from in an eternal sense. But we're in this now because there just isn't a point yet where everyone is heard. So he's like, look, I'm going to let the church be the church. And I'm going to let you struggle through different kinds of suffering. Because it's more important that the whole world hear the hope of Jesus than it is that we have nice, comfortable little lives. It's more important. It's worth it for us to, to struggle while we're here on the earth from God's perspective, so that the gospel keeps going to people and they keep knowing what we're talking about tonight. His cross speaks a better word. Lent helps us focus and absorb all that Jesus wants to say to us through the cross. And he loves you. He doesn't have to. It's not because of what you can do for him. He just does. And his love is big enough to cover the offense of sin. Even the, the level, like, the, like sin, that was so offensive it required his own death. His love still goes beyond it. And so the takeaway is simple, really. It's not shallow, but it's simple. We have set our faces toward Jerusalem as Christians all over the world during Lent, where we're preparing ourselves and we're on that journey. And we just need to let the cross say to us what it was designed to say. Rome designed it to communicate certain things. God designed it, designed Jesus' crucifixion to say certain things to us. We just need to let him speak. Sin is serious. Love is great. And love prevails. So, we're going to respond a little bit in a couple ways. Um, And then we're going to be dismissed. And then we're going to go into a world that needs to know this. And we steward that message, right? So let's stand together. We've been offering a couple of different ways to respond throughout Lent. One of them is just having just kind of this area up here open to pray. If you would like to come and to pray, uh, you can come at any point during the next, you know, next couple of songs or whatever. This is your opportunity and sometimes it's just good it's just good to get out of your seat and come and be humble and kneel. And come before the Lord and just address whatever it is that you need to address. Another one, Taylor is down here. Um, he's one of our elders. He'll be serving communion. If you would like to step forward and uh, receive communion tonight, then he will be here ready to serve you. Uh, if you're acknowledging and you're saying, "I need, I need what Jesus has to offer me at the table. To acknowledge that his body and his blood were shed for my sin. Um, if that's a way that you want to respond, then he'll be there uh, to serve you in that way. If you want to sing, you can sing. If you want to pray, you can pray. If you want to sit down, you can sit down, even though I told you to stand up. Uh, this is just a, a few closing moments that we can just um, maybe keep those blinders on a little bit. Like you can keep your focus because once we're done, you know how it is. They come off and all kinds of stuff is there. So steward these moments well um, as I pray for us. Lord jesus you are um, you are just amazing, and those scriptures' I'm so thankful for the way that we can just keep circling back to them as a congregation, as believers, as sons and daughters, uh, and how you continue to teach us and to guide us and uh, to convict and to encourage and to draw us out of hiding, realizing that you have provided. Uh, So that we don't need to live in shame or fear or um, in the lies anymore. But we can live in the truth that you have saved us and rescued us from perish. That your will, your design, is that we would not perish. And that's not just an eternal thing, that's a now thing. That we would not, even now, even for those who are Christians... That we would not dwell in our sins and in the patterns that are familiar to us, uh, but yet are leading to our own destruction in so many ways. That you have called us forward and called us out. And by your grace, we will not perish for eternity, nor will we perish in this day or tomorrow or the days to come. And God, for those who are in this room, who maybe are unsure where they stand with you. They aren't sure if they're Christians or not, or they're not sure if they're in the, in the perishing camp or in the not perishing camp. God, I pray these next few moments would be, uh, that they would just sense your nearness and your safety, and you just, they just talk to you. That they would talk to a person after we're done, yes. And ask questions and, and follow up, but that these moments would be just for you and them. And so if that's you in this room, I would just encourage you to just relax and just receive God's love and to tell him in your own words. Tell him what's going on. That this would be your time with him as well. And so as we respond in prayer or in song or In communion or in some sort of mixture of all those, God, may you just have your way in these closing moments together.